Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can be together. Lord, we can look at your word. Lord, we believe that your word is our foundation. Lord, our foundation for our understanding and knowledge is, Lord, when your word is um, illuminated to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that as we look at this story of Mary and Martha in a moment, that, Lord, your spirit will just reveal to us um, the truths that we need to be reminded of this morning, or perhaps even learn for the very first time. Father God, may we uh, look at your word and break out of ourselves a bit more, uh, to shed uh, the bits of us, Lord, that aren't in your plan, that aren't in your design. And Lord, those hurts and those pains that we carry with us, and may we even begin to shed them as well, we pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and the wonderful things your son Jesus did in the New Testament and that happened in the Old Testament as well. And we thank you, Lord, for that story of Mary and Martha. Lord, it isn't just a a nice religious story written down, Lord, to teach a moral point. That's a real moment in history, a real historical moment when your son opened the tomb and raised a man back to life. And we pray, Lord, that we would come to your word knowing that these things are certain, these things are real, and these things are life-changing. And I pray, Lord, that my own words would honor you in everything, that every single one of us would hear what we need to hear this morning, even if it's unsaid. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember the day well. I remember it like it was yesterday. We just finished our um, regular-ish camping trip to the exotic campsite in Royden. When I was growing up, my friends went on exotic holidays. I went camping in Royden. Um, who th- who'd have thought I'd be working just down the road from Royden campsite? And like most days at that age, I guess I was about six, I had my favourite teddy bear with me most of the time, Richard. I know who has a Richard the name of a teddy bear. In fact, it wasn't even a teddy bear, it was a glove puppet. A glove puppet called Richard was my favourite thing at the age of six. Maybe 17. Anyway, uh, seven. Um, so we were packed up. I say we, my mum and dad packed up. And then we got ready. And of course, being a good, responsible six-year-old, I needed to go to the toilet before we left. And so I took Richard with me, the glove puppet, like this. Anyway, we went to, went to the toilet. And I, I placed Richard by the sink went to the toilet. Anyway, and then I washed my hands. That's important for you to know. I always wash my hands. Um, And then we got in the car and we drove off. And it was only halfway home that I realised I'd left Richard in the toilet. I'm not going to cry. I promised myself. (laughs) And it's funny now, but at the time, I felt real pain. I felt real anger. And I actually felt a sense of loss over this ridiculous glove puppet called Richard. For the next three weeks, we want to look at, look at brokenness. I want to look at Jesus and the broken. Will be, that will be our title. And I want to think this morning about that story of Mary and Martha and the death of their brother, Lazarus. Um, they were suffering, obviously, a much greater loss as they lost their brother, Lazarus, um, after a short illness. But I wanted to start with that story about my glove puppet called Richard, not to undermine the story we're about to tell of Mary and Martha, but actually to say this morning when we talk of Mary and Martha, we're using their story as our base. But I want to talk about loss in a wider sense, because it isn't just a loss of a loved one to death that hurts, is it? People lose all sorts of things. People experience loss in all sorts of different areas. And yes, even a child losing a stuffed toy can be a significant moment if not dealt with correctly. Um, And so the reason I want to look at um, Jesus and the broken for the next three weeks is because it strikes me that every single one of us in this room this morning and those who will be with us next week and the week after all know loss 
one way or another. All of us have lost something or someone. All of us have been without something. We would long and probably give our right arm to get back. And it strikes me that most human beings become very quickly experts in baggage handling. We all pick up baggage when we lose and we experience loss and pain and we become excellent baggage handlers. In fact, some of us become proficient in neatly packaging our hurts and our pains and our losses so well, so tightly in our luggage that we've managed to convince others and even ourselves that I am fine. If there's ever a phrase that should be banned from every language in heaven on earth, is the phrase, I am fine. What a terrible description of how you should be. God doesn't want you to be fine. He wants you to be amazing. He wants you to be well. He wants you to be healthy and healed and blessed. Fine is a halfway house. It isn't living to the full. So we package our problems so well that everybody convinces, we convince everyone around us and even ourselves that we haven't got any problems that we're carrying around. But the problem with hiding our pain is it does always catch up with us at some point. Just like the comically overpacked suitcase that if you don't put it down correctly will explode in your face at some point. Um, have we got a picture of an exploding suitcase? Don't know, oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, I tried to get a gif not a gif, a gif of an exploding suitcase. you think I could find one? Type in exploding suitcase into Google and you get all sorts of things come up. But none of them involve clothes popping out of a suitcase. Perhaps I should say popping. Anyway, so, but like the proverbial comical exploding suitcase, actually when we back, uh, package up our problems neatly and compactly and just drag them around with us with an I'm all right face on, they would always explode at some point I can promise you so let me read um, John 11 if you've got it open in the church bible or your own bible in fact that'd be great John 11 because we will dip in and out Uh, James read to us from verse 38 so I want to read from verse 17 Um, it's a little bit longer but it's an important story uh, just to have fresh in our minds you may already know it so Jesus is somewhere else and he hears that his friend Lazarus has died and Mary and Martha send him a message saying can you come he waits deliberately two days before going to Bethany, a village just outside of Jerusalem. It says, on his arrival, from verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And then you know the story of the stones rolled away and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And out comes Lazarus, risen from the dead. After hearing that Lazarus has died, he waits a few days and then he goes to Bethany. Of course, Jesus has a plan. Jesus always has a plan. He knows he's going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. That's his plan. He knows he's going to get there. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And his, but his interactions with Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary, um, just show and remind us of something about loss in our own lives. And his response to these two sisters is wonderful and worth dwelling on and thinking about what it means for us in our times of difficulty. Um, first, it's worth saying, though, isn't it, that loss comes in many different shapes and sizes. Of course, from this story, uh, the main loss is the loss of a loved one. And many of us here know, many people here know what it means to lose someone close, to lose someone dear to them. And that is perhaps one of the most painful experiences a person can go through. And it takes many, 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 many years to come to terms with it and process that grief. And you needn't think that you need to be over it quickly or even pretend you're over it quickly. It takes a long time to deal with the loss of someone close to you. But there are other things that give us that experience of loss. You can have a loss in your financial situation. You can find yourself uh, made redundant or having to change job for one reason or another. And that can change your finances Perhaps you lose some of your pension due to a change in policy or economics or a company goes bust. But a change in finance can lead to a sense of loss. Suddenly you can't do the things you want to do anymore. Suddenly you can't have the holiday with the kids that you look forward to and you long for. And perhaps it's just days out here and there. And you can't actually do some of the things you want. You've got to live differently or limited. And that can have a real sense of loss in people's lives. A change of property, a loss of property. Perhaps there's a fire or maybe uh, you're repossessed or a landlord kicks you out. A change in property can have that sense of loss. That was home. That was memories. That's where my children took their first steps. That's where we spent our first few years of marriage and now we live here and here's rubbish because here isn't home. That's home. This is never going to be home. And that can be real loss, a real painful thing to go through. We can experience loss when we have a change in our physical and mental capacities, when we're no longer able physically to do the things we once did. Perhaps we have an accident or an illness or have a condition of some some form. And we watch other people charging here, there and everywhere and we think, I can't do that anymore. I want to do that, but I can't. And that can have a real sense of grief and loss. Same with the ability to think and control how we feel. Um, That can do that as well. Sometimes age is a, a real a difficult time for people, isn't it? Suddenly you're no longer 21, although you may feel it. Uh, suddenly you are the age you are, and your body suddenly lets you know. And you can't do all those things you long to do. Even the simplest of tasks become a bit frightening. Because you think, well, I, what happens if I fall or I trip or I hurt myself? Will I be able to care for myself again? That can lead a real sense of loss. 
But there are other sorts of loss. There's the loss associated with not achieving something you've been passionate about, like a lifelong dream. Maybe at school you thought, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to do this. By the time I'm 50, I'm going to do this. And then that keeps getting 10 years later and later and later. You've pursued something, and either you've failed at it, or you've mucked it up, or you've made an unwise decision, or it's just not happened. You can feel loss. You can feel grief over a missed opportunity or not fulfilling that lifelong dream. Never quite getting it. A loss of a relationship can, uh, can be a real sense of grief. Things break. People let us down. We let people down. Sometimes circumstances change relationships. Maybe it's a loss of a child leaving for university or getting married. That also can lead us to a real sense of loss. There are losses that we experience that are just part of life. The death of elderly parents, uh, downsizing our houses as we get older, leaving our jobs, retiring are all regular losses that we all go through, but are no less painful if not dealt with correctly. But there are also losses that no one else sees you having, but you perceive that you have. For example, you may perceive that your parents loved your brother or sister more than you, and that's a sense of loss, but no one else probably knows you feel that way. There are losses that we expect, and of course, there are sadly those losses that come unexpectedly, out of the blue, and take a lifetime to get over. And I wonder this morning, what's in your suitcase? What's in my suitcase? I wonder, have you neatly packed up your losses and your feelings of hurt and, and trouble? Have you packed them so neatly, so tightly that you know they could burst at any moment? Are you pretending to the world that you're fine when in fact you're not? It will catch up with you. Are you over it? Have you dealt with that sense of loss or have you just become an excellent baggage handler? So loss affects us differently as well, affects us greatly. Uh, Feelings of loss can show themselves in a number of ways. C.S. Lewis said this about grief. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. We know that loss can make us feel all sorts of things, can make us feel detached from others and reality, can make us feel angry, can make us feel fearful, can make us anxious and suddenly worry about every little thing, whereas once we perhaps we never did. In the past, there are also physical side effects for things like loss and grief. It can make us unwell. We speak of being broken when we feel lost, don't we? And actually, sometimes we think, can we ever be put back together? And so in John chapter 11, as Jesus enters Bethany, a little village just outside of Jerusalem, Martha goes to him first, and you can actually almost feel her pain. In verse So in verse 17, as she, as she goes to Jesus, so verse 21, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You can feel her pain, can't you? If only you'd come sooner. If only you'd been here. If you were here, he wouldn't die. I wouldn't feel like this. This wouldn't hurt. And then later on, Jesus would call her sister, Mary, and she would get up off the floor in her house and she would go to Jesus and she would say word for word the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And whilst I don't think they're angry with Jesus, I don't think they're annoyed with him, I think they're confused. I think they're feeling a sense of regret, a sense of what if, almost why weren't you here? You love us, we're your friends, why weren't you here? Couldn't you have been here? Couldn't you have come five days ago and just stopped him dying? Couldn't you have done? Of course you could have done. And often when we go through loss, isn't that the question we ask? We say, why? We say, Lord, I'm confused. This hurts. 
you're in charge and you love me, so why am I going through this? I don't understand. And I think that's a totally okay question to ask. I think it's totally okay to say to God, why? A lot of Christians feel they're not allowed to ask that question. Somehow it's faithless. No, it isn't. It's human. And God has made you vulnerable. So you are able to ask God your vulnerable questions. In verse 20, we see this loss has made Mary crash. Um, Martha goes off to see Jesus, but it says Mary stayed at home. I'm told that in the first century, one of the ways people grieved in this situation was they would literally just sit on the floor in the kitchen, that's how I'm told, and for about a week, people would come from all over the family and the village, and they would feed them and they would care for them, but they would just crash to the floor, and that would be where they sat for about a week. And that's uh, how she's feeling. She's crashed, she's come down. And let's not forget, as uh, Martha reminded us face-to-face a moment ago, they haven't just lost a brother, have they? They've lost the head of their family in first century terms. The man was the head of the family. He was the breadwinner. He was their protector. Without him, they're vulnerable. They're alone. They're without their financial support. They haven't just lost a brother. They've lost a whole life. And loss can lead to more loss, can't it? It can lead to associated losses. And actually, sometimes when someone goes through loss, the best way to care for them is to deal with some of those associated losses. Someone gets made redundant. It's good to go around and put an arm around them, but maybe we could think this person probably feels useless. Perhaps I could ask them to help with something. Or maybe we could help to pay for the school uniform or whatever it might be. The associated losses can cause more anxiety, I guess, sometimes than the loss itself. Other effects of loss are crying. In verse 33... It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Our loss often leads to tears, doesn't it? Our emotions spill out. I know people who uh, have cried in the strangest of places. One little tiny thing suddenly brings back a lifetime of memories, and out it all comes. We cry. It's okay to cry. And alongside tears, the effect of loss is anger. Mary and Martha aren't angry with Jesus, but the community are. It says in verse 17, Some said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They're confused. Well, why couldn't you come and raise Lazarus from the dead? The crowd are thinking, Well, why didn't he? I thought he was this powerful person. Why didn't he turn up and sort it all out? And so loss leads to anger. It leads to tears. It leads to confusion. It leads to crashing, but also um, it leads to a loss of hope. Jesus says to Martha, doesn't he, doesn't he right there, I am um, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. The one who believes will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says, yes, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come to the world. So she believes it. And then Jesus goes to the tomb and says, open the tomb, roll the stone away. And what's Martha's reaction? She knows he's God's Messiah. She knows he's coming into the world. What does she say? She says, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor. He's been in there four days. In other words, it's too late. There's nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do about my loss because it's too late. And actually, she's lost hope, hasn't she? Even though she stands in the presence of the Son of God, There's a part of her that seems to think all hope has gone, all hope has lost. And I wonder if you feel like that this morning. 
I wonder with the loss that you've been through, maybe it's many years ago or even going through now, if you're thinking as we raise our hands and clap on a Sunday morning, Jesus, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing more you can do for me. There's no point. All of the singing and the dancing and the connect groups and that, that's just a new thing that I'll do because there's nothing you can do to get me through my loss. Maybe you feel anger at God. Maybe you feel that emotion of confusion. Maybe you've lost hope. And perhaps, in fact, you're crashing as well, but with a smile on your face. So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do for these two women who have just lost their brother? Well, the first thing he does, which is surprising, perhaps, for us, is he waits. In verse 6, having been told that Lazarus has died, it says, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. So he hadn't died at that point. Jesus knew he was going to die. He could have rushed there, couldn't he, and healed him. But he waits. He waits deliberately. God has a plan. Jesus has a plan. He waits, and then he goes to Bethany. You see, when God pauses, or when God waits, it's quite unnerving, isn't it, in whatever situation we're going through. We want and we hope desperately that whenever we go through pain, God will come quickly and fix it for us but actually sometimes God doesn't sometimes God waits sometimes God pauses not out of uh, anything horrible but because God does things at the right time all the time and actually sometimes that pause can be a moment of real soul searching uh, a moment of real throwing ourselves at the feet of Jesus actually it can be a time of real growth because when you're only facing your problem head-on There's only one person you can hope in. Everything else is then slowly stripped away, isn't it? And all you have is Christ. And actually those who say to Jesus, help, and they mean it because they trust nothing else, are often the ones that get better and find themselves put back together quickest. That pause is unnerving for us, but it is an opportunity for us to learn trust as we wait for his arrival, because Jesus is going. He is coming to Martha and Mary. He is coming to set them free. He is coming to help. He is coming to deal with their loss. They have to trust that he knows what he's doing and the time he's doing it. So let me tell you this morning, whatever pain you find yourself going through, Jesus is on his way. Christ is moving towards you. He hasn't forgotten his um, pause or his waiting isn't ineffectiveness isn't a lack of care it's because he knows the right time to move in your life and our job is to trust the timing of the king rather than the other way around so their first thing he waits that's the first thing jesus does to these two experience loss is he waits second thing he does um is they have to respond to him don't they as he arrives as martha hears that jesus is coming towards bethany what does she do She jumps up, having sat next to her sister, and she runs out that house, and she goes straight to where Jesus is. And a bit later on, when she goes back and she says to her sister, Mary, the teacher's calling you, calling you by name. Come on. Up she gets, and she goes to Jesus. They both say the same thing, don't they? If you'd been here, if you'd been here, they're honest, and they're clear. In fact, what they're doing is opening their suitcase, and they're saying, look at all of our baggage. Look at all of our hurt. Look at how we feel. There it is there it is help they're laying it all for jesus to see i wonder when the last time was that you poured your heart out to jesus christ in prayer i wonder when the last time was you cried 
and you wept for what you're going through. It doesn't have to be publicly, although it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't matter at all if you cry publicly. But when was the last time you just said, Lord, look, that hurts. This is how I feel. Hold it all up. This is how I'm feeling. Because some people never deal with their loss ever. And they never find the healing that God offers to them. They open their suitcase and let Jesus see the contents. We can be honest. Can't we can say, Lord, I'm confused about your plan. I'm confused about your will. It hurts. Please help. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you did that? It's so sad to see so many people wear an I'm okay mask. But what's even more tragic is that I'm convinced some people wear an I'm okay mask, not just in front of other human beings, but in front of God himself. As if I can convince him that I'm fine when he knows me inside out, back to front. The Bible is littered with people who have been through tragedy and who shake their fists at heaven and ask why. And ask what's happening, why is it like this? And the best thing I ever heard someone say on this topic was that God can handle your honesty. God can handle your honesty. So as they come to Jesus and, and share their pain, Jesus does four things. Four things that I think we should try and remember this morning. The first thing he does is point to a greater truth. It's interesting as she says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And in verse 20, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, don't worry in a minute. Or in about 30 seconds, I'm going to do this. It's all going to be fine. No, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. She immediately thinks of the last day, the day of the Lord, when the dead and the living will stand before the King of Kings and the dead in Christ will rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4. And of course, he is talking about that. He is talking about the end of time when the resurrection of the dead will take place. But he's going to do it sooner as well. And actually, I think if you're suffering loss, you need to hear what the Bible has said about loss in the greater scheme of things. There isn't a problem or a pain that we suffer on this earth that there isn't a complementary promise of God to match it. For example, if you are ill, if your body is broken, perhaps it's an illness that's going to end up robbing your life. If you feel uh, old and it's all just falling apart, it feels... What does the Bible say about that? Does it say despair about your physical body? And it doesn't. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us we're going to get a perfect body. There is a promise to overcome it. Maybe you haven't got any money. Maybe you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet. And that is really tough. And I understand that's really, really tough. But doesn't uh, doesn't John 14 tell us that Jesus is preparing a room in his father's house? Aren't there mansions and glory for God's people? Doesn't Ephesians tell us that he's blessed us with all the heavenly blessings in the heavenly realm? Aren't there riches for God's people? Not worldly riches, but godly riches in heaven. The poverty we feel here will be eclipsed by the generosity of God in eternity. And those of us who feel lonely this morning, wandering and confused, seeing life through that dim mirror, doesn't the Bible tell us we'll see God face to face? There's not a Bible promise that is not bigger than the problems we face on this earth. Jesus points her to a greater truth. Search the Bible for what God has said about what you're going through and what he has said 
positively about what you're going through. Second thing Jesus does is he reveals more of himself to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. He explains who he was. There's an old joke, which most of you have probably heard, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, There was an old minister, and he was doing a... Well, age is irrelevant, isn't it, these days? Um, He was a minister, and he was doing a a kid's talk at church, and uh, he uh, he has hidden behind his back a teddy bear. And he said, now, I've got something very special, boys and girls. Some of you have heard this, some of you won't, so that's good. And he says, you know, I want you to guess what I'm describing. It's, uh, it's, got, it's big and furry. You know, it's got four, four paws, big ears, big black nose. Kind of goes, likes to climb trees. Any idea? And they all stare at him. One little kid puts his hand up like that. And he says, yes. He says, look, I know the answer is Jesus. Ben half sound like a teddy bear. <laughs> But actually, the answer is always Jesus. That boy is right. The answer to Martha's pain is to know more of who Christ is, to know a greater knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. First point is to know a greater truth than your pain, to know Jesus better. And number three, to share your pain. Verse 35 is not just the shortest verse in the Bible. I believe it is the most beautiful. Jesus wept. How wonderful to know that when we go through tragedy, God isn't impassive. God isn't ignoring. God isn't uninterested. God weeps with us. He stands next to us. He knows us. He feels our pain the moment we feel it. Jesus wept. He wept perhaps for a variety of reasons. But I believe he wept because they were mourning and he mourned with them. He shares their pain. And the fourth thing Jesus does in verse 38 to 44, as he acts, he actually brings Lazarus back to dead. And whilst we don't get that many people brought back from the dead, it does happen from time to time. What we do know is that God will act in our lives if we trust him. There might be a delay, there might be a pause, there might be confusion as to what the grander plan is. But God will always act. We might want to know what God is doing. We might even feel anger and pain. But God will act. Romans 8 Verse 28 says, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for the good of those who love him. God will work in your life if you experience loss, if you hand that loss over to him. If you stand there with your suitcase wide open and say, this is how I feel, this is what I don't get, this is how weak I am, help me. If you do that, if you pour your heart out, if you let Jesus see it all, if you let him take it all, if you let him pick up your baggage and you just hold on to him, I guarantee you it will not hurt any less in the short term, but he will be able to take that loss and heal it. He will even be able to take that loss and use it for his own glory as he does in this story. He will even be able to remake you, remold you, rebuild you, heal you, stand you up stronger than you were before because it will be him that stood you up. It's him that's remade you, him that has reformed you. And if you don't believe me, I can point you to many, many people that have been through some terrible things and who have trusted Jesus Christ with their loss and he has stood them up and healed them. And so let me end with the words of Martha a moment ago. What's your advice to those people going through difficult times? Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. This morning, go to Jesus. Open it all up. Let it all out, perhaps for the very first time. Because he is coming. He is here. He is the King of Kings. He is the resurrection and the life. And he is your only hope 
And he is the only one that can rebuild you. The only one that can remake you. The only one that can heal you or forgive you or bless you. Let me just pray. Father God, we just lift up, Lord, this story to you, this account, Lord, of Martha and Mary, or the death of Lazarus. And we thank you, Lord, for all that it teaches. And Lord, so we stand before you knowing that we are people that experience loss, people that experience great pain. And Lord, we know that that is part of living in this world. Lord, that we're never going to experience it. We will have trouble, the Bible says. Lord, this world is broken. Lord, there are evil people in it. We sometimes act and do things that are sinful ourselves and make terrible decisions. And yet, Lord, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So, Lord, we come to you through him. We come to healing through him. We come to faith through him. We come to life through him. He is the one only able to give us peace that passes understanding. And so, Father, I pray for any here who are experiencing loss, that, Lord, they wouldn't make the mistake of thinking they could put a brave face on it or process it themselves, that they would be like Martha and Mary and get up and run to you and be honest and clear. And I pray for healing for all those who need it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.